Hi everyone, Lauren Hubele here. This is Restoring Immunity, Explorations of Polyvagal Theory. In Pema Chodron's masterful book, When Things Fall Apart, she shares this about the unknown. Letting there be room for not knowing is the most important thing of all. I believe that when we let go of what we know for sure and step into the world with a beginner's mind, that is when we come into our true power. Even with the trailblazing work of Peter Levine, Bessel van der Kolk, and Stephen Porges, we're only skimming the surface of addressing complex trauma. Perhaps we need to come back to this concept with the beginner's mind. Along with colleagues Cameron Scott and Megan Limp, I believe the questions that need to be asked that will lead us to a path of healing have yet to make themselves known. We understand that talk therapy helps because we co-regulate, but it does not release the trauma pattern. We know medication can suppress the patterns so that we can function. But what is it that would let us feel safe enough to tap into the experience, dropping the story in order to heal? The dorsal survival state of the autonomic nervous system is designed to save our life when fighting and fleeing are not successful. Our biology drops us into that state in order to protect our very existence. So the question we need to answer is, what do we crave in that state in order to feel safe? I invite you into today's conversation that begins when acupuncturist Megan looks at this exact subject through the often poetic Asian medicine lens. Hi, Lauren and Cameron. It is so great to be with you again. And I so enjoyed catching up on the juicy discussion that you had last week about the variations in the experience of the dorsal vagal state. And for those of you just joining us, just to review, there are three states to the autonomic nervous system. And biologically, dorsal is what I call our uh, state of conservation. Sometimes um, Cameron refers to it as the biological state lowest down on the ladder of the autonomic nervous system. And it's a state where we tend to feel disconnected from both ourselves and others that's characterized typically by lower energy. And one of the things that was fascinating to me that you and Cameron explored so beautifully, Lauren, last week was um, sort of how the dorsal vagal state you know, you use terms like burning up mm -hmm. and you use terms right. like um, falling into the earth and related it to the elements. And then you also beautifully, what does dorsal state crave? So if the sympathetic state craves organization to feel safe, what does the dorsal vagal state crave? And to start with, 
what really kept coming to me, you were ex sort of doing some exploring of an energy called the I am. And I'm right there with you. I think that um, as I felt into the dorsal vagal state, it wants to exist. It wants to know that it exists. So that, that's my current feel about it. So if we think about the biology and the sort of the, the ladder of how we move up and down the autonomic states, when we perceive danger or threat, we move into one of the two states of protection and out of ventral vagal. And um, you know, the more mobilized state of protection we call sympathetic and then we drop into dorsal when the, either the threat or the perceived danger is not resolved with action or when the threat feels so great that our nervous system drops us all the way down into this state of energy conservation. And so when I was thinking about this scale, I kept thinking about how we neurocept or our nervous system detects the gradations and how great it perceives the threat to us to be or to our life to be. And dorsal can be a response when we feel like our existence is in danger. So, it would make sense then that what dorsal craves is it, the feeling that it exists. And so what Cameron was illustrating so beautifully about you know, feeling the sun on your face or um, feeling the breeze. And so ways that we use our senses to remind ourselves that we're here, that we exist. Or Cameron, as you said, you know, somebody just along for the ride, somebody the being with, or Lauren, like you said, your husband just sitting in the room and maybe not talking, but just somebody there because we mirror each other's existence. You know, you and the three of us are um, co-regulating right now and we're mirroring to each other that we're here and that we exist. And so I think that what is reassuring when our nervous system doesn't feel confident that our existence is safe is is that mirroring of of the simple fact that we're alive wow megan <laughs> wow wow so an i exist energy maybe yeah yeah that just takes, I think what that does is it takes the I'm here, I am to a, a finer tone. And, and you're, you're putting it um, up against the fact that the, when we feel our existence is threatened, that's what dorsal is for, right? Would you agree with that, Cameron? Yes, and, and because I love saying everything in hierarchy, um, Maven's idea that, you know, I exist really belongs as the platform to be able to then further acknowledge I am or, you know, being with. Because if we don't exist, there's no uh, ability to, to consider that state of I am. 
So, so when you say like the platform, Cameron, are you, would you agree that that that's like stage one <laughs> in the dorsal vagal state? Like that's, hmm. Yeah. So that's used for, for that safety in existing because we won't be able to really take in on the, that lowest low um, if, if the biologic imperative is still survival. Hmm. Hmm. How does that resonate with you, Megan? Yeah, I think sort of placing it as a foundation feels very, um, I, I think even the word foundation is a beautiful illustration of that, is that you know, we need to, our existence is the foundation for everything else, of course. Yeah, beautifully said. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and if we think about, we take that a step further, and we think about the vagal break, which is something that um, we talk about sometimes in relation to polyvagal theory. That when we're feeling connected to ourselves and others, we can sort of be the operator of what we call the vagal break. And Deb illustrates this so beautifully. Um, by imagining that you're turning on and off a light switch of you know, our autonomic um, movement, or we, we're putting our foot on and off of a gas pedal so that, as Cameron said, there's always sympathetic running in the background, but when we apply the vagal brake, we can sort of control how much of that mobilized energy we're releasing. Well, let's really go back and think about what dorsal is, which is we've neurocepted some kind of more intense need to protect ourselves that has caused us to slam on the brakes. So when I was listening to you both really feel into the gradations and the different ways that we each experience and describe the dorsal vagal state, and we were sort of trying, you guys were sort of trying to categorize them in a hierarchy, it goes back to that foundation of I exist because some of those terms that you, the, the intern so beautifully brought up. So I'm floating or I'm um, falling or they all still include verbs. Yes, yes, they're all. Um, and so if the, there, it almost feels like some of that is when dorsal is coming up against somehow dorsal is coming up against a little sympathetic Cameron, as you said, which is a triggering space for many of us. Um, the shifting of the states is triggering. I think in a real foot slammed on the brake, full protection dorsal mode, there's not a lot of verbs to describe that because there's yeah. no connection to ourselves or others. Other people are irrelevant and there's no action happening. It's a, it's a true state of conservation. So the more our language is describing something happening, the more sympathetic energy must be present for that to be the experience. Huh. So almost the more active the verb is, the higher up we might be on the ladder. Would you think that in that way? That's what it felt like to me as I was listening to it. Yeah. How does that sound to you, Cameron? 
it, it definitely, and, and starting with that, that most basic platform, then we can remember that in the, the hierarchy, our autonomic nervous system is wired to take us up. And so then we can start being curious about where, if, you know, met with enough cues of safety, where and how quickly or how slowly or what direction in you know, speed is our system moving. Hmm. Hmm. You know, I, I'm thinking I had this recent experience and I, for me, it's all, when I have something tangible, it's a little easier to see. I had a lot of sympathetic mobilization um, yesterday evening. I worked way too late because I'm working on French time, not um, US time. And in my world, if I'm still working at 10, 11 o'clock, winding down after that just doesn't happen well. And then there was a series of challenges that came up through my work that were, were big enough that got me quite mobilized. And even though I was exhausted, I, my body was still vibrating, right? There was still this. But what I noticed is, you know, in the sleep and attempts to sleep, I was still in this highly mobilized place. But by the time morning came, I had fallen into some sleep, but I could, the, the mobilization was gone. I know I wasn't in ventral vagal. I did not wake up in heaven. I know that. I, it, but um, the first thing I noticed, and Megan, I, I mentioned this to you when we talked about dorsal, is my voice, that my voice changes. There's this flat, dull feeling, and I can put my hand on the, my chest, and it's that, it's coming from here, like this lower place in me. Is that something either one of you have experienced before? Yeah. And, oh, yeah. and, and, but I have to say something really interesting. That state was a great relief. And when I put it in opposition to that buzzy, mobilized, sympathetic state, because what I really felt like last night was I can't do any more of this. And if this shape that something doesn't shift, I'm going to break into pieces. Just one of our, our um, lines that our um, the, the um, interns had talked about. And that's what it felt like. If I keep vibrating at this level, I'm going to break into pieces. And so when I woke up and I was still whole, <laughs> but I had this lowered voice, it was like, oh, thank goodness. I can just recharge here for a while. Yeah, Lauren. You know, we've talked about um, sympathetic craving organization or a feeling of um, structure or cohesiveness or what, whatever the words that feel comfortable to each of us are. And it, it, it sounds maybe like there's some relevance there that, you know, that intense vibration felt triggering to you and like it didn't have maybe the boundaries or the container or the organization that you needed to be able to sort of control that vagal break and downregulate enough. So of course, if you wake up and you feel more downregulated, so 
you know, your energy has lowered and your voice has lowered and you're experiencing awareness in different parts of your body, it seems to make sense that that would feel like a relief. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's important to call that out because I, I think even I notice when I'm teaching and um, um, in conversations with other practitioners, dorsal seem, is seen as this negative place, right? It's this, oh, right? And honestly, I've had times where I found that to be quite welcoming. That shell can be a really cozy place to be if you've been in this highly agitated, mobilized place. Yeah, you're nodding your head, Cameron. Would you agree with that? Well, it really appreciates that no states, you know, including dorsal vagal, are good or bad. Right. But when we consider, first of all, the the biology of sympathetic is often that release of adrenaline and cortisol. And you watched your system where it, it might have chosen to become quieter and go to bed. And, and there might've been a little bit of a system override. <laughs> it's like, no, no, second wind, keep going, keep going. The cost to your system is taxation. Yeah. Because we cannot, and this is so true for those of us that are surviving, you know, pandemics and weather and politics and, and all of that so much overwhelm mm -hmm. and that it's an assault on our system. And then our systems biologically can't maintain that much mobilized energy. And if it can't with ease using the vagal break, regulate back up into ventral vagal, which eventually allows, you know, recharge to happen in a state organized by ventral vagal, you will go down because your biology is asking for the rest and recharge. What I suspect how we know the difference between an adaptive survival response and actually a blended state, which is with that wonderful ventral vagal energy is whether or not there is fear, there are cues for danger and threat. And my hunch is, regardless of the quality of the sleep you might have experienced that waking up in that morning in that really kind of, you know, you, you through whatever sleep you had, you did reboot and get more ventral vagal on board because a dorsal vagal blend, it allows us to just hear our systems like, wow, you know, there it is. My system needs, is asking, it's calling for that rest and digest which is replenishing. But if you woke up without enough ventral vagal on board, then it would be, you know, that true disconnect conservation mode and you, that lack of safety would be present. Hmm. That, Cameron, that makes sense. So if I, I were to summarize what you say, what I experienced in the way I did was more likely an, a blended state. In the morning, for sure. In the morning, yeah. And had, you know, it, it could have gone any direction, right? But um, it's interesting, and this is where noticing and naming comes in for all of our listeners, is when you're aware and you feel, and I, I can feel this, and, and so I know I need to do some things to nourish myself this morning and go easy and not push. And 
um, my husband had wanted to go out and take care of some errands. And I was like, uh, I think if I do that, that's not going to put me in a very good place, right? I didn't need more stimulation. So being aware of that state is huge. Yeah. And that's that moment that I love data explaining. That is when we're aware of our states, we can have our nervous system be our ally as opposed to our enemy. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And Lauren, there must have been uh, some ventral because noticing what was best for you and what you needed. Sure. Yeah, thanks for pointing out that out, Megan. I think that's important for our listeners to hear because when you're in a deep enough um, dorsal state, you don't know what you need and you're not certainly not being very resourceful um, until someone co-regulates with you and you can bring invite in a little um, ventral vagal energy and start um, seeing how to best serve yourself. You know, I, I want to circle back around where we started. And, you know, Cameron and I had this conversation last week, Megan, and you, again, you were dearly missed. Um, the thing that I would love to hear about is you're looking at this, what dorsal vagal needs and these flavors of dorsal vagal with a, an Asian medicine lens. Is there something that, because we started playing around with some ideas with elements, but you know, it was Cameron and I playing around without your wisdom there. Are, are, do you have some thoughts on that now? Yeah, I do. And um, we can explore them, but they're still working. There's not, I can tell you where I'm at with them, but I can't say that this is where I'll land. I love that, Megan. <laughs> yeah. So if we look at the five elements, we need to remember that the nature of vital energy is constant transformation and movement. That's the nature of our vital energy is that, and from an Asian medicine lens, um, our chi wants to be, so our vital energy, another word for that is chi. Our chi wants to be flowing, um, and it also, and it doesn't want to have any blockages or dams in the river, but it also wants to be flowing with organization and, um, direction. And so that's why it's hard to talk about the elements separate from each other, because each of the five elements, which element is maybe a mistranslation. I mean, it applies when we talk about nature, but I think the five phases is another word that you'll hear people use for it, or the five movements, the five ways that um, life expresses itself and each of the different flavors of those movements and expression, um, not dissimilar to the three states of the autonomic nervous system. They all have a different flavor and there are blended states. So, um, our, our deepest state that gives us the power to um, thrive and move and facilitates that vitality is the water element. And um, that's considered a reservoir and it's very linked to the brainstem. 
And, but think about water. Water just flows. It doesn't necessarily, it needs something to guide it. it touched on that when we talked about the bladder creating sort of that container for the water storage um, so that the emotion related to water, which is fear, doesn't seep out. So water just flows. So then we, we bring in, um, you know, directed an organization to that flow. And that's what we call wood. Um, wood sometimes people think of as very hard, um, but there's this beautiful illustration in the Tao of Trauma that's you know, we think about wood as the bark on a tree, but really it's just giving a boundary or an organization or a direction to our soft inner layers. Um, so wood offers directed, it's, it's the um, innate nature of life to emerge, but it, and it gives it organization and direction. So it's like air traffic control. Um, and then earth, this is important. So when we talk about the five elements, earth is in the middle. And sometimes people put it in the circle and that's fine, but really earth has to do with our ability to transition. So this is key when maybe, you know, as we're transitioning states or, you know, maybe there's some, we're feeling dorsal, but there's still some verbs happening. There's falling, there's floating, there's something. There's The action isn't happening in a way that feels safe, but there's still action happening. We're talking about, you know, maybe actually having trouble transitioning. Um, that is the nature of earth. Earth is, it nourishes all of the other elements. So for water to flow into wood, it has, there has to be earth there to facilitate that transition. So that's the way I'm thinking about it without getting too wordy about it. I'm thinking about the nature of the movements. And so um, I think that we can continue to feel into this a little bit, but um, um, that's, that, that's kind of where I'm at with it right now is that when we, when I listen to somebody talk, I'm listening for how much energy are they describing? Because that's always a baseline. I'm, I'm listening for whether it sounds like they're having trouble transitioning. So there's like this natural maybe mobilization happening, but then they're falling back down because that there's something in that transition that's stuck or triggering. Um, I'm listening certainly for the words that they're using, Lauren, like you said, you know, burning or splitting or falling or um, yes, because if somebody describes drowning, drowning is a down natured thing as Cameron pointed out. Of course, I'm going to think water element. And that's what the water element is, is that it's a reservoir. And dorsal is then going to catch us down in the reservoir and hold us until something comes in and helps us feel safe enough to naturally have some floating energy again. <laughs> um, I don't know that it feels linear to me right now. It, you know, I, I don't have that sense about it. Yeah, you, you know, I'm glad you brought that up, Megan, because that's something that I would love to hear. Cameron's thought on and I know Cameron you tend to see things in this hierarchy but sometimes when I'm feeling this I, I almost feel like they're moving in cycles in this dorsal place that it I don't I I don't know that I experience moving from this state to this state up above and up above again 
sometimes I feel like I'm kind of going a little bit this way and a little bit that way. Do you feel like it needs to, uh, that the hierarchy, I mean, that's how our, our nervous system has evolved, right? Can I offer something? Yeah, please, Megan. Let's think, um, it, it's feeling to me a little bit more like the double helix. You know, let's think about, you know, honoring that kind of ladder that we know biologically exists for the nervous system. And then also sort of like this circular movement within that. Ooh. I would definitely agree. And I think that, um, you know, putting things on the ladder and the hierarchy gives us a, a rudimentary structure. But if you think of the movement, I think of, you know, the elements in like the ocean, there's always come coming and going and sideways and backwards and forwards. So I think that that is the much more sensitized awareness of, and each of our systems have been affected, you know, over time. And then, you know, each moment has nuances of our neuroception from inner body, you know, in our environment and with others. So it's never really gonna be the same. You know, I have to be really honest. <laughs> we talk about, um, random fears. When we talk about la the ladder, I always am imagining I'm falling off. Like, whoa, how do I hold on to this? Because I, I don't picture the ladder and movement as the same thing. Because if I'm on a ladder, I don't want to move very much. <laughs> yeah, you know, Lauren, that's interesting. I wanted to share this with you. So I've been talking to a few um, trusted friends who are somewhat versed in um, polyvagal and who hang out a little bit in dorsal. And uh, I was bringing up the being with energy, Lauren, and I got some real feedback um, from this friend that she's clear that her energy is low and dorsal is her home away from home. But when we say the words being with, that feels very unsafe to her because being with people is not something that happens for her in dorsal. And it's something that is challenging in general for her. Yeah, I, that is not the first time I've heard that from someone. And um, so, so how would you interpret that when, do you, I guess the question then would be, and I, I think I already know the answer. Sometimes when we're in dorsal, we really do want to be with. And and then there's that place where we we don't want to be with anyone. Yeah, I'm wondering if there's that's a place more of the you know solidifying the foundation of I exist. You yeah. Know, I, I, yeah, I I can honor my or see or acknowledge my own existence and I feel that others can do that too before there's the possibility for connection in there. Sure, because I don't if I don't exist, I don't want to be with someone because that's when I feel and I'm speaking from a personal standpoint the most vulnerable, right? When I question my existence and the fragility of my emotional state, the last thing I want to do is be with someone. But what I want is to be, right? To be. And, and um, 
So, you know, going, going to that, that place I exist, I think is really spot on. And I think it really, you know, I always say that, you know, the, just speaking medically from a clinic setting, you know, the diagnosis is really most helpful if it actually leads to some kind of path forward for healing. And I think the same is true here, which is, I think, um, if this leads us on a path for understanding how to um, show up for ourselves and to um, be with our own existence, or, you know, like Cameron said, if it leads to realizing that the sun on my face is soothing to me and that, or that, you know, a loved one sitting in the room with me, but not talking is honoring of my existence and helps mirror for me that I'm here. Um, if it leads to gemotherapy extracts, that might be helpful. If it leads to ways of self-touch or um, ways that we can show up for ourselves, then I think it's very worthy. Cameron, do you have any further thoughts today on this topic? Well, it's, you know, I'm the self-proclaimed po passionate polyvagalist, but I think when I am happiest, it really is working with other autonomic nervous systems in personalizing polyvagal theory, because Steve Poor just sort of discovered the complexities and, and Deb put on a hierarchy, but each one of our systems is uniquely ours in how it's been toned and tuned over the experience that we've lived. And Deb talks very much about co-regulation, but includes self-regulation. And so when I'm playing with another person's autonomic nervous system, it's getting a sense as we listen in together, as we hold space, you know, what, what appeals to a system next to, in terms of support and and for many systems uh, you know they're different that moment of sun on my face or knowing your your particular vulnerability of not wanting that be with energy it, it is you know some of what experience has brought us to and then we don't take away any of those moments but we often like to add you know other resources or other ways we can be curious about what would be supportive of movement in an autonomic nervous system. Mm. Yeah, and once we're noticing what will be supportive of an autonomic nervous system, ours or another, then we've let a little ventral in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, I think what where this comes together for our listeners here, and I'm so grateful for you to you're saying that, Cameron, is that this is this is no not a one size fits all um, model and what we have is we have a framework and then each one of us show up with our experiences and our nervous system and our conversations the point of them is to help um, help identify the variations that we might be experiencing the very the variations to these themes and what might be useful for for each one um, because we all know when you're in that state when you're in it your access to resources is so diminished 
um, that we end up finding ourselves stuck again and again. And, and so our, I, I believe our goal in this whole project is to shine the light into these areas that haven't been explored because we in our society and culture have been so adapted to, you know, this one, one size fits all. Here's your protocol. Oh, you have, um, you know, depression. Here you go. Here's what you need. You have, you know, this. And um, anyone that's out there that's listening, um, particularly those of you who have sensitive reactive systems, you know that doesn't work. The problem is no one's talking about how to discover what what works. What is that system asking for? Yeah. yeah. So and that's our exploration. Yeah, that's it. That's it. We need to keep asking the questions. So I think what what my takeaway out of this today was a little more confidence in this other energy, this I exist energy. And would you feel comfortable with that too, Cameron? That would be a little closer. Yes. Yeah. And um, and then this this idea that then what dorsal is craving is to exist. And once we can exist and we're we accept that then we crave connection, but not before. Wow, really lovely ladies. What a great journey I'm on with you. Thank you so much. Yeah, beautiful. So listeners, um, there's so many um, episodes for those of you that are dropping in to catch up on and we're going to do a little homework ourselves and see if we can highlight some that will help um, cue you in to how we got to where we were where we are right now um, but if you're listening for the first time um, and you want to know about our work um, I work in the field of gemotherapy you can find out all about gemotherapy on my website Lauren um, Hubalay.com and Megan um, works in the field of um, Asian medicine in, as a Japanese acupuncturist. Megan, where can folks learn more about your work? Sure, my website is acculemp.com. And Cameron, our passionate polyvagalist, thank you so much for being here and continuing to show up. Cameron, where can folks learn more about your work? They can learn more about my specific work at CameronScottMA.com. And I'm also inviting people to discover the newly launched website of the Polyvagal Institute, where it's growing in terms of information and resources and groups and communities. So it's another wonderful place, the Polyvagal Institute. Fantastic. Thanks, ladies. Once again, it's been a joy to be together.